be Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Ah! Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon. I'm the Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Good to be here as always. And later in the program, freelance writer and critic of Right Nehru, who will be joining us with the What is Democracy director, Astra Taylor. What is Democracy is screening at the Antenna Documentary Film Festival, which kicks off next week. However, Chris and I have been at a film festival of our own. Yeah, we're here in Sydney Harbour overlooking the beautiful Opera House, where we just, at the Playhouse Theatre, attended the gala screening for SF3, the smartphone flick festival. Yes, it is at the Opera House. I remember a few years ago, it started at the Chevelle, and each year it has grown progressively bigger there was a red carpet it was a mini red carpet because it's a smartphone film festival and the screens are smaller so it's a nice touch it was very sweet and Angela Lake and Ali crew have done an amazing job of putting on a festival which I think is crucial to the local industry and especially emerging filmmakers absolutely Glenn made a comment to me before we started recording this that this is better than Tropfest and I would go further and say this is filling the niche that Tropfest originally was designed to fill Tropfest has been taken over by established players in the industry and has become way too focused on big budget professional filmmakers. I think what's interesting about the use of the smartphone as a recording tool is that it acts as a filter because I think a lot of big production companies who want to show off their prestige are not going to be interested in shooting with the humble smartphone. It means that we have a mix of established filmmakers who've decided to use this tool for a particular film and people who are just starting out and have access to way less resources placed on an equal footing, which is what Tropfest was supposed to be all about. And we see returning filmmakers, uh, Ren Thackham, who won last year, who was on the show last week, returned as a finalist, Lauren Oll, who was also an established filmmaker, was in the finals this year. Callum Pritchard, who won the Youth Award last year, returned with Forgive Me. It is a unique opportunity for persons who are emerging or looking to break into the industry, have their first break, and want to make films. And the point was made at this festival, and I think it's been made in previous years, that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you had to have a big camera. Now everyone has a camera, so all you have to do is go out and shoot. Yeah, absolutely. The The use of smartphones, I think, helps democratize the filmmaking process. Francis Ford Coppola was famously quoted as saying that film will finally be a real art when the tools to create it are just as affordable as a pen and paper. And I think we're reaching that point now because a smartphone in the first world is something that is just accepted that you have. So even though it isn't actually as cheap as a pen and paper, it's as freely available. And as this festival showed, the quality that you can get out of smartphones is getting better and better. I was surprised at how well a lot of these films held up on the theatre screen. And I think we can shoot more and more with smartphones now because the lens equipment that are available, you can shoot widescreen and panorama shots and very simply you can shoot at night, which I've always found difficult on my iPhone, but with certain lenses you have the ability to shoot in all types of environments. Having said that, I think it was in similar cases in previous years, but almost all, if not all the films were set in light environments and that may be a function of the smartphone itself but that certainly will not be a restriction mobile filmmaking soon will very quickly advance further. I think I think so too. The quality keeps getting better, but as Glenn is alluding to, I don't think we're quite there yet. You could see a lot of the limitations of smartphone filmmaking, as well as a lot of the strengths in these films tonight. As Glenn said, most of them were very brightly lit, but in the films that allowed shadows in, you could sometimes see pretty ugly, huge grain. Because these are not professional film equipment, you're recording to a small file size, so there's a lot of compression in there, so the grain in the shadows comes out as big, ugly splotches. Another limitation of the smartphones that I could see on display in a lot of the films was missed focus everywhere. There were a lot of crucial shots in this where the focus was just a bit off. 
I think smartphone filmmaking makes the most sense as a entry point for filmmaking for people who are beginning and maybe can't afford their film equipment yet. I think it's great that the festival has the SF3 Kids contest, the winner of which this year, Ethan Doe, with his short film I Hate It, made a really cute, creative little thing. Massive shout out to Ethan for his short. I think it was the most relatable of all the films. It was enormously fun. Great comic timing, interesting camera movements. This definitely showed the signs of a natural grass on how film works. I think smartphone filmmaking is great in the way that it encourages people like that, but I wonder about the sense in investing large amounts of money into it because it's not that much more expensive for a camera that has, for example, focus tools that will guarantee that you don't mess up focus on any big shots. I think on a smartphone screen, it's hard to gauge what's actually in focus. Clearly it's difficult, or else a lot of these films that are otherwise very well made wouldn't have missed focus on the shots. So I don't think this is an avenue for bigger filmmaking. It's just not the right tool for the job, but it's fantastic that it opens up possibilities for new and emerging filmmakers to get their stuff out. I think there, in terms of smartphone filmmaking, there will be inevitably even established directors who want to use smartphones because as Ren said last week, you can get a smartphone in the place you can't get many other cameras. If you shoot films with smartphones, and increasingly so, young and emerging filmmakers are going to be doing so, some will have access to lenses, some will not. Just with traditional film or digital film, any other type of filmmaking, some will be of greater quality and some won't be. And that's going to be a spectrum with mobile filmmaking as well. What's significant about this festival is that it takes away what I think is still a less now but still existing stigma against using technology like this to shoot films. If people have access to it and can shoot quality picture on it, and they certainly can as evidenced by this year and previous years, there's no reason we shouldn't take these films as seriously as other Even feature-length films and SF3 is a big step towards that. I agree with that. I think uh, it's great that we have a mixture of the lower budgeted films versus the higher resource films here it definitely takes away some of the stigma and opens up the grounds for anyone to express their creativity since i spoke about some of the limitations of making smartphone films before i should touch on some of the strengths as glenn said a big one is that you can shoot in really enclosed locations another thing would be that phones are so ubiquitous that it should be easy to make stealth films in all kinds of locations in ways that no one could dream about with big bulky film equipment i'd like to see more movies built around things that only smart phones can do because the cost of the camera is actually a fairly small part of a film production once you start getting up into the higher figures of paying people and uh, organizing locations etc on the other hand when you're working with absolutely no budget at all a smartphone makes a lot of sense because it's what you have and therefore it's the best tool for the job going forward i'd like to see more films built around the case of why this should be shot with a smartphone like movies shot in public stealthily with a smartphone or movies shot in a really enclosed location. Ren Thackham rose to the challenge in, on a movie where she did use a larger crew and lights with a few shots where her phone went into a really tight pipe and uh, created a great down-the-wire kind of shot. I really enjoyed 97 Seconds. It was it won Best Screenplay this year and it was a think of the Sylvester McCoy era of Doctor Who meets the hilarious scene in Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory where the machine tells them I can't tell you what uh, where this ticket is going to be because that would be cheating. And there were a couple of other films as well which used a smartphone in ways that were distinctly recognisable as a smartphone. Man Cave, which is a film about a person stuck in a cave, and also Clickbait, a hilarious, very relatable film about why you shouldn't just click on those uh, pesky YouTube videos and 
where it could get you. In the case of clickbait, it was very much thematically appropriate, as well as going in a sort of found footage direction, the same of which can be said for Man Cave. People do just film themselves with their phones these days. It makes perfect sense to build a film around the idea of the selfie. I think we should talk about the winning film. What I also find remarkable about SF3, we see a lot of festivals each year, films that do win top prizes aren't always the best films. In the past two years now, uh, Rearview last year and this year She Rose, there'll be many good films both years, but there have been two absolutely standout films, and each year they both book top film and best director, and deservedly so. I think unquestionably the best films have won in the last two years. She Rose is outstanding. The director, Malwina, oh man, it's a Polish name, so forgive my pronunciation. Wojcicka. It's great we have Glenn on the, on the show to correct me. Is a film editor by trade, and she said she couldn't find crew to make this idea she had that she wanted to play with in the editing base, so she stepped up to shoot it and direct it herself. And she said, I'm not a director when she won the Best Directing Prize. She is a director. Clearly she is a director. I think this shows SF3 doing exactly what it should do, giving a platform for an emerging voice and really this is the emergence of a great filmmaking talent the mastery of uh, all of the aspects of filmmaking in this shot were brilliant I was hooked right from the start beautiful use of shadows in the cinematography amazing sound design early on it reminds me of Film Fight Club staple David Lynch Um, and a very simple story but executed in a beautiful way and it was about a woman confronting her inner demons and going back to the self-doubting child inside her. This film had an extraordinarily obvious metaphor, and that may sound like a bad thing, but it is not. A metaphor when you, or analogy when used to simple effect, as it was here, can be used to very profound effect, as it did with the button ending, as many short, many of the best shorts have. We were chatting to the director, and the fact that she directed and shot this and edited this all her own is absolutely remarkable. It is a great film and I hope we do see more for in the future Well, there's, there's quite a few interesting ones that screened at the festival, Clickbait we talked about a moment ago and it's interesting that Clickbait and Polaroid are very much along the lines of in so many respects, the winner last year re- review it. Yeah, I wonder if people had a look to that for inspiration about what works in this format, or if it's just coincidence. Polaroid, for which the lead actress shared the Women in Film and Television in Australia Award with Lauren Oral, who directed I'm Too Sad to Tell You, did a really good job. I liked how this built horror out of a really bright, daylighted environment where you don't expect death to come for you. It had really good sound design, but I wasn't really drawn into the horror because I couldn't get past the internal logic of this film. A woman is taking photos on a Polaroid camera, uh, going through quite a lot of instant photo film, I would think, as she sees the terror getting closer and closer to her with every photo she takes. So why does she keep taking the shots? I understand the curiosity would definitely be there, but I think the fear would be stronger. And if I were her, I would be getting out of there and putting the camera down. I referenced Doctor Who earlier. Think of the episode Blink and the Weeping Angels uh, in Season 5, very much along those lines. Um, I do agree this lacked some of the internal logic of that and especially Rear View. Yeah, Rear View put you in a place where you've got no control over what's going on. You know, there's the curiosity about what's going to pop up in the Rear View mirror, but I was much more convinced by Rent Thackham's use of this concept. Having said that, they did establish that person was quite isolated and they did enjoy it nonetheless. Speaking of horror, just to return for a moment to She Rose, every year there are horror films. This wasn't a horror film, this was a drama, but it had horror beats, which is not something you see The horror was done excellently. It was superb. So hoping we see more and more from 
the film about Wiener Wojcicka. There weren't as many comedies this year as in previous years, but there was one really fun one, and that was Two Farmers, a film uh, from Sydney, New South Wales. To speak too much about Two Farmers, I think, would be counted to the spirit of the movie, but this is a very (laughs) funny, to-the-point little Aussie comedy. Men in the Outback going against stereotypes, and that's all we'll say. Mate. Mate. I loved it. And a ghost story by Kate Heffernan, which is about a ghost who is being harassed and annoyed by a bunch of ghost hunters, which is a fun side to the haunted house story that we've kind of seen before. Felt like the kind of film that would play at Tropfest, but it was more low-key and charming than a lot of the films that actually make it into the Tropfest competition. I really like this. I actually made a film last year with Chris. <laughs> it was there called Bee Ghost Story. I was struggling with a like, not dissimilar concept, and I preferred this film. I think this film was a lot better. <laughs> I think this is what the very kind of, modest of you, Glenn. I, I this this was was close to the concept I had in my mind, and uh, yeah, um, Heaven Hef- just nailed it. I really did enjoy it. It's funny. I thought of Glenn's film as well. It's strange and unlikely that a ghost story seems to be a film that is inspiring no-budget filmmakers everywhere. I'm glad someone has absolutely taken that concept and really done something really interesting and cool with it. Um, The winner of last year's SF3 Kids Award had a film in the main competition this year and actually won for Best Cinematography, Callum Pritchard with Forgive Me. I think the cinematography in this was great. This is an anti-drugs film, but... I think the the issue with this film is that it is extremely unrealistic in the depiction of how addiction works and how the psychology behind the demon of drug addiction. It has very, I would say, crisp editing, fast-paced, doesn't feel like a long view, um, so very well made. But I do think this was very well shot. I don't think that this film provided a depiction of how drugs are consumed or environments which drugs are consumed that will be relatable to many people who have been exposed to those environments. Or anyone who knows people who have been overtaken by drug addiction because the trajectory presented in this film is just very unrealistic. Having said that, the core experience which the characters go through I think is extremely relatable and therefore still not uncompelling. So that is SF3. They will be open again for the fifth year through entries in May 2019. If you are listening and you have done made some films or looking to make something and all you have is an iPhone or a Samsung, reach out and shoot something. Honestly, Ren, who won all the awards last year with her film Rearview, she conceived and shot that in 37 hours and people have shot finalist films in less. So do it. Don't be intimidated. It was really interesting, as we've been saying, how some of the films here were clearly made with very little resources, and some of them were bigger budget productions, and they were competing head-to-head. So if there's any filmmaking competition where you've um, got a chance at making it into the big league and showing it the Sydney Opera House, it would be this one. And it does open doors. Yeah. If you feel like making a film and you've got an idea you could do with no budget, you've really got nothing to lose here. So I think it's a fantastic opportunity that Ali and Angela have created for aspiring filmmakers everywhere. We hope to see you there next year. That is the Smartphone Flickfest SF3. And here's Virat Nehru with the director of What is Democracy? Astra Taylor. Let's let's begin with uh, the genesis of the film because I wanted to explore yeah. when did this film come about because it's exploring a timeline which stretches past before Trump got elected and then it comes into present day. So I wanted to get the idea of when did you get the sense that this is what you want to actually dive into? Yeah, I so I started working on the film, um, you know, just in terms of the sort of seed of the idea all the way back at the end of 2013. And I wrote the proposal in 2014. Films are slow, so you have to, you know, work 
to find the financing and all that. So th it was a long gestation and I started filming, actually shooting at the end of 2015. And then the final days, the final shoot days uh, were actually the election in 2016 in the United States when Donald Trump got elected. And that was sort of the, the culmination of the, of the filming process. You know, for me as a, as an organizer and as somebody who has written books um, and lots of essays and articles with a political bent, you know, the, the word democracy is just a word that's, you know, it's everywhere. It's all around. And, and there were a few, there were just a few experiences that caused me to, to take a closer look at that word. There were a bunch of things that culminated in me wanting to take a closer look at this word democracy. And I have to say, if I flash back, you know, if I think about myself five years ago, 10 years ago, the word democracy wasn't a word that really spoke to me. It seemed like a really sold out word. It almost seemed like it was synonymous with bureaucracy. Um, you know, I liked words like equality and socialism and justice and the revolution. Um, but uh, this film, the process of making this film has actually recommitted me to this idea of democracy and to the idea that we need to struggle to reclaim it. Yeah, it's interesting you make that point because I feel there are different definitions of democracy based on what status or what socioeconomic place you mm -hmm. come from. The one thing that it's sort of implicit in the film, it's not really explicit, but, you know, Athenian democracy was not a democracy by our standards in the sense that it was a society based on slavery and women were excluded and foreigners were excluded. But it had one really interesting innovation, which was that it allowed poor people to participate. And yeah. that's sort of the big problem of our time, right? It's like we live in a society where, you know, capitalism is basically, um, you know, has concentrated wealth to the political equality is just impossible. And, you know, eight billionaires have half the wealth of the planet. So, you know, in that sense, you kind of go, well, the Athenians figured something out. They compensated, you know, poor people for their participation. And, you know, and, and that kept a relatively, you know, egalitarian, economically egalitarian um, system. So, you know, it's also, you know, the, you, there are lessons to be gleaned from the past. You know, history doesn't totally repeat itself, but, you know, certain problems do resurface. And the, the film just wants, you know, with the film, I want to kick us into a, a different state of mind where we are kind of looking at the bigger picture and asking, you know, bigger questions instead of just reacting to the latest headline. I love that moment in the film where, there's an anecdote about Clisthenes and what he's doing with the cross-section of Athenian society, where he's forcing people to interact with others you might have never met. So it's not just your friends, it's not your social circle. And I feel that's essentially, in a way, a kind of postmodern condition where suburbs and certain areas of the city have become so inundated with certain people who have the same kind of social economic status. So you only yep. ever see those people. And you think that yeah. is the world and you never get to interact with people outside of your comfort zone. Well, and it's interesting, right? We're sitting here talking on Skype together. So we're using <laughs> this amazing technology, this digital technology. And one of the big hopes for the internet was that it would bring people together, right? In a global village and we'd start getting more news from around the world. And, you know, a lot of studies show, at least in, of Americans, that actually people consume even less media that's international. Like it, it basically causes this, the, the, the bubble thesis that you're presenting to kind of go global. Cause now I can like talk to hipsters in Berlin and hipsters in <laughs> London and like only engage with people like me. And so it's kind of, yeah, I think you're, I think you're, you know, you're totally right that, 
democracy is supposed to be this mechanism that, you know, it's, it forces you to engage with people who aren't necessarily your friends, who, who don't have the same preferences as you or, you know, aren't part of the same subculture and, and to actually listen to them and engage. And, and that's something, the way our spaces are, are set up doesn't encourage that. And I, and I, you know, I want to tie back to your observations about there being different types of democracy and, you know, that what this isolation, this like, oh, well, I prefer this kind of person or I prefer this kind of environment is a sort of market driven democracy, right? It's like, I should only engage with the, the things I like and my kind of consumer preferences. Yeah. Um, and Didn't the things think I that choose. Way, so, but that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's why the internet, the internet is, you know, with the exception of Wikipedia, we're all day long, we're on commercial platforms that are basically you know, pandering to us as consumers, not citizens. And so it just reinforces our sort of preferences and gives us more of what we like. And so that I, you know, I feel like these, these issues are all sort of connected. What also is interesting and sort of, as I was watching the film, I had this sort of, I guess, realization that the more societies are becoming over the world, you know, because the film explores Greece, America, and other societies, communities, so I guess the more the world is becoming technocratic, these technocrats are the real people with power, real kind of market forces with power. Mm-hmm. I guess communities are organizing in a much more smaller ways. And I guess democracy is playing out in these smaller communities where people are coming together and actually exercising their will and in a much more smaller congregations. Let's say Occupy is a good example of that as well. The smaller political movements is where democracy is more visible in that sense rather than in a larger federal scale, which often people associate with democracy on a political level. Yeah, it's a really, that's a really interesting question, the question of, of scale. And it's sort of, you know, again, it's implicit in the film because I didn't want to, you know, be voicing it over and going, this is the part about scale. Can democracy <laughs> work at a larger level? You know, and, and um, but I think, I think you've, you've raised a really, you know, interesting point. And right now we live in a world where, you know, the markets, markets are globalized, right? So a trade that's happening in Shanghai is affecting markets in New York or um, Mumbai or London. So, you know, I think that to counter those technocratic forces, as you described them, we actually do have to scale up democracy. But you can't just you can't just jump to that big scale with democracy because democracy is made of people actually exercising power and having some ability to understand and to wrestle with the things that shape their lives. And so that's why you you sort of, you can't skip the local scale. Um, and in the film, I, you know, I do linger on small scale examples of democracy because in a sense, that's, that's all we have to work with right now. Um, you know, where people are frustrated, I think, you know, people are frustrated with democracy at the federal level, at, at the national level, because, because it doesn't really exist, you know, um, the United States, the example of, of the election in the United States is a good one, right? I mean, the popular vote went to a candidate who didn't end up landing in the White House. So, you know, a lot of people felt pretty damn fed up with democracy, um, if that's the definition of it. Uh, so, you know, I think I think the scale issue, it's, it's one of those intractable problems in democracy. We have to we have to wrestle with it. You know, I think as someone who is, you know, part of Occupy, you know, democracy, it's not enough to just have democracy and in the park that we were all congregated in. And, you know, I think, and so what's been interesting is to watch veterans of that movement in New York, all of us in different ways, trying to figure out what the next steps are. And so I, you know, I hope the film sort of captures that spirit of struggling, of struggling to figure out how to, how to actually enact these ideals, um, especially in, in the face of really big and powerful adversaries. 
The other, I guess, side of the argument, which often gets thrown around, is that maybe in some sense this kind of tyrannical, fascistic, New Age world order is good because it forces people to organize themselves and, you know, come out of that anesthesia, which has plagued the postmodern condition for the last two decades or so. Zizek almost made that argument as well, which I found a bit, you know, hard to digest, that, you know, Trump is good for the world because it finally forces people to come out in the streets and protest or at least stand for what they actually want to fight for. Yeah, so I totally disagree with the view that it has to get worse before it gets better. I mean, sometimes like it just gets worse to get worse, you know, there's no law of the universe that it's going to reverse course. So, yeah, I'm quite frustrated with when I hear when I hear that kind of argument from, you know, my fellow lefties. Uh, I do. You know, I think I think there's one message of this film is that, you know, part of why there's now the sense this this sense that democracy is in crisis is because people were sort of asleep at the wheel. Right. Like throughout, to, again, to, to go to the example of the United States, but throughout the Obama era, there were some really interesting social movements, Black Lives Matter, Occupy, um, actions against indigenous uh, actions against pipelines and stuff. But, you know, they they it was kind of this attitude of like, oh, well, activists, the subculture of activists are being activists. But for the most <laughs> part, everything's cool. Right. And now we see where that got us. Like now people, now it's like people who were not politically in, engaged at all two years ago or suddenly, you know, think fascism's like right around the corner. <laughs> Maybe it is. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, as someone who has been really politically organized, and I say this as an introvert and as an intellectual who would rather stay home and read books than, than, you know, be organizing, you know, Same. like you, you just, you have to do it when actually people you kind of like are in power, because those are the people you might be able to persuade and move, you know, you don't go home when the guy you like better than the other guy wins. Um, and, uh, and so I guess there is an aspect of the film that's trying to convey that this is, this is, a, this is something that requires constant vigilance and commitment and, you know, an engagement and um and it, it's so it's not you know we should be thinking about democracy for much deeper reasons because we want to push it forward and have it evolve and have it become more robust and rich you know not just because we you know are are so alarmed by what's happening in the white house i guess we're in a climate of political films and political narratives are becoming quite mm-hmm. pervasive and i think the two examples i can think of off the top of my head right now Black Clansman by Spike Lee and the Raoul Peck, James Baldwin Ducco, I'm Not Your Negro. Yeah. Very influential, and I think they did well across the world. So what is it about, I guess, the current zeitgeist that is seeing this influx of political inquiry at this point in time? What do you, what do you feel? Why are we sort of getting back to that sort of political, I guess, because narratives have never been, political tangents have been there as an undercurrent in movies for a long time, but I guess you're getting that explicit tone in a lot of movies now that we have to address this in more explicit, overt manner than we ever have. What what do you think is driving that? Yeah. But it does seem it's a, it does seem like it's sort of a broader trend, right? That musicians are getting political again, arts getting political. And I think, you know, it, it, it is a, it's a reaction to what we're seeing on the world stage and, you know, this, sort of rising um, xenophobia and, you know, you know, and this 
the sense that, you know, racism is out there with without its old facade and inequality is out of control. So, you know, I think people are, are responding to the times. I think the movies that you just referenced, I mean, I haven't seen Black Klansman, but, you know, there's this film, Sorry to Bother You, that's here in the United States, I Am Not Your Negro, are really, you know, interesting, complex uh, political narratives. And I actually, I, I'm not your Negro in particular, I really respect it because it avoids what's a, a pretty standard documentary trope of sort of telling a story and, and asking you to just like empathize. And then, you know, you're, uh, you've sort of done your emotional work and you're on your way. What I really liked about I'm not your Negro was that it like, it forces you to intellectualize. It doesn't just, it's, it's a very emotionally affecting film, but Baldwin and Rob Peck, the director, just always kick it up to this intellectual structural level. Like, yes, Racism is personal. White supremacy hits people personally, but this is a structural problem with with structural solutions. And I, that's that that way of keeping the larger di structural dynamics in focus. That's pretty rare in in documentaries. Which you know, even right now, there's a whole crop of new documentaries that are just focused on sort of like, you know, bad bad men. You know, like Steve Bannon and Putin and Donald Trump and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so, you know, I hope that we see more storytelling in, in, you know, complex storytelling that has these larger economic political structures and focus like Peck is doing. Um, because, you know, for films, I don't know, for films to be worth audiences time, I think that that's what they have to do. Um, uh, you know, narratives can add complexity and depth and where they can really just, you know, simplify things. And sort of like, yeah, provide an emotional release, and then that's it. Um, and uh, and so I hope I hope filmmakers rise to the occasion more. Yeah, it's no. Yeah, it's just that. Oh, can I see some substance? Yeah, I'm awesome.